Now, I think it's just the, the idea of, of being innovative. Students realize the teacher's learning right alongside with them at times, and it's not always the expert. And, and that, that's pretty powerful when you get that relationship built to where you're on this learning journey together. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Today we continue our series that is looking at the state of education in light of COVID. And we meet Michael O'Toole, who has been immersed in education and coaching for more than three decades. Throughout his career as an educator and curriculum developer, he has had the opportunity to work with students and teachers from around the world and with such organizations as the National Geographic, NASA, the National Science Foundation, the GLOBE Program, Discovery Education, and the University of Colorado. His classroom work has focused on physical and cultural geography as well as earth system science. He spent two years as the STEM coordinator for St. Vrain Schools here in Colorado and is now the coordinator of science curriculum for St. Vrain Valley Schools. I think you will enjoy this conversation as we explore the ways that schools are pivoting to serve kids' needs in light of everything happening in the world today. Well, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the No Barriers podcast. If you've been listening this month, we've had several features focusing on uh, going back to school and how parents and teachers and administrators and kids are dealing with the challenges of school uh, today. And pretty excited to be joined by Mike O'Toole. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be here. Congratulations on the podcast. I've really enjoyed the episode so far. Nice. And for our, our listeners who are just, you know, hearing Mike for the first time, never heard of St. Vrain, you know, this is a, a very well-known national district, widely acclaimed, lots of awards the, for their innovative approach to education. So I mean, we're definitely talking here to one of the nations, if not the global leaders in, in how to think about how we educate our kids. And that was one of the reasons we were really excited to bring you on. And when you think about what you teach, Mike, and what you've taught for your many years, how, even before COVID, how did you bring sort of the, the global culture, global geography, how do you bring that to life when you, you can't go to those places? Talk to us, because you've been doing that for years. Um, how do you make that happen? It's all about lighting that spark that interest and imagination and in the place and having students engaged, the idea of student agency, taking an invested interest in their own learning. And if you could light that spark, it's just, it's magnificent to see how it grows from there. So that's, that's been great. And then here in St. Vrain, all of this starts with leadership and the idea of our leaders 
asking us to dream big and not being afraid of that and then follow that and then learn from our mistakes and then celebrate, of course, our, our celebrations and moving forward as we talk about continue to climb. So we always use that as a sort of a metaphor. And you make the kids into what I understand, like citizen scientists, like, you know, right? It's not just like a teacher pouring information into these empty vessels, right? You're trying to get them to interact in the world, to create their own impact, to understand that they can be scientists in their own right. And you have all these exciting, you've, you've had all these exciting partnerships, like measuring sharks and all kinds of stuff like that. Tell us about some of that exciting work. It's quite remarkable Then you think about who can actually contribute to science. And we get down to some of our elementary students and middle school students, and they're contributing to the scientific knowledge of our planet. And when students collectively contribute to something bigger than themselves, that's pretty powerful. They take an invested interest, they're excited about it, and oftentimes it extends learning and they take and run with it. Uh, right now we have a couple different projects that are taking place where we have our elementary kids helping reestablishing uh, fish populations after the 2013-14 flood that took place here in Northern Colorado. And so it's quite remarkable when you really turn the learning over to the students and get them involved at, at what levels they could reach. How does that look? So like say in non-COVID times, right? Or, or maybe even now, how does that look? Do you take field trips and actually have kids going out to the streams and, and working in those environments? Absolutely, and the, the idea of business and industry partnerships is just huge. We're very fortunate to live where we do here on the front range of, of Colorado and, and right next door to, to some magnificent partners, IBM, uh, you, you name it, quite a few partners there. And we try to bring as many professionals into our buildings as possible, get as many of our students out working in the field as possible, even as early as elementary and middle school. We have students working at the national parks, the state parks, and of course my arena in science, it's just pretty easy to do to pair students up with researchers. So you're always creating those kind of partnerships. And tell me how, like, cause I'm totally fascinated. What's this project about kids measuring sharks with lasers? <laughs> yeah, <we laughs> That's have a, pretty cool. I want to do that. A good friend of mine actually was, uh, works for Ocean First in Boulder, Colorado. One of the leaders in online ocean education in a landlocked spot in Boulder. And she's a shark researcher and asked one day, do you think any of your students can assist with what I'm doing? You know, absolutely. And so what we did is we actually had them prototype. That's the idea of, of education today, of really understanding and, and building a product and prototyping it, revisiting the product itself and keep working on it. And they actually built a, a laser to, to measure the length of a shark. And what it has is two lasers. They're exact distance apart with a camera in the middle. And then when Mickey went underwater, she's off the coast of Baja, California, and when she went underwater and, and used those lasers with the camera, they actually put lasers on the shark. And then later on, the, the computer would actually take and, and give an exact measurement from tip to tail, the size of that shark. And also the, the pictures can use the gill markings to actually identify the shark. They're like fingerprints. And so we are actually doing a live webinar with Mickey underwater with four pregnant great white sharks. Come on, that is so cool. So they're all over 2,000 pounds. Uh, they were swimming up and, and our kids were watching live. And the, just the knowledge of the fact that students in our district actually helped make and prototype that instrument and put it to practice and it worked. And it was collecting data, it was quite remarkable. And so now they're actually building these. They're, they're building them and, and 
actually selling them to different groups around the world. Is a scientist in a cage, by the way? Is she oh, in yeah. a cage? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so now, so what's your model as you've started the year? Uh, like my son is at a school and they're going like twice a week and I've heard these systems, these hybrid systems where they're going for a week and then off a week. Some are totally virtual. What are you guys doing exactly now? We decided to go fully virtual right now. So we're online. We're going to reevaluate this at the end of September. And I think everybody's in the sort of similar situation, but that's been different. And one of the last yeah. things that, that we couldn't forget is that last year, teachers had already built relationships with students. They established the norms and expectations of their classrooms and they really had everything moving in a direction and had goals set. And this year now we're starting from scratch. And so a, a big part of any good teacher student relationship is, is just that is relationship building. And it's not only the content that's being presented, but also those relationships and invested interest. And how do you do that online? That's the, that's a challenging thing to do. And so this is, um, a spotlight has really been placed on strategies, strategies to support best practices um, in an online sort of synchronous environment. Uh, what tools can teachers and students really become good at to be able to collaborate? And then also we're engaging uh, a different stakeholder than we normally do, or at least more so than we normally do. And that's the parents at home that are assisting. And so that's all been um, been interesting. But the bottom line is that we're not only changing the way students learn, we're changing the way teachers teach. And that's been a, been a challenge, but it's, a, it's an exciting time, though. That's a challenge to build relationships with the kids, right? So you're touching on this, but like, what, is the, what are the disadvantages of the virtual environment and what are the advantages? Are there some advantages? That's a great question. I, I think the, the big thing is getting personal time with the student. You know, obviously in an in-person situation, you see a student walk in a classroom, you can ask them how their day's going. Um, if they're a BMX fan or, you know, you know that they're a BMX rider, you can always ask them about that. That's a little tougher to do in an online environment, um, especially with small group work. Different districts use different technology, whether it's WebEx, Zoom, whatever it is, and just getting that individual time and making sure we make personal contact with each student. That's the key. And, and so like that laser that you guys built, I mean, that's a collaborative process where people are together building that. So could you do that virtually, like that same thing, or would you have to adapt it? It's definitely more challenging. Yeah. You can have the collaborative efforts in which are exciting, but just the in-person piece of actually hands-on. My, in my arena in the sciences, we're, we're looking at what do home experiments look like? Because all of our science classes, we really value that idea of hands-on learning and, and getting in there and figuring out instead of just learning about. And so how do you do that in a, uh, in a virtual world? And uh, the teachers though have been terrific. And the one attribute that, that really good teachers have is that they exhibit what we want most want to see out of students. And that is that they're a lifelong learner and they put in the time, oftentimes long time just to work on their craft and become really good at it. This year we had uh, just an amazing outpouring. We had almost 900 teachers take classes during the summer a little bit over 2,100 teachers in early August were working on best practices on online work and how to connect with students. And so it's great to see that oftentimes adversity can, um, it's tough and difficult, but oftentimes you come out much stronger, sort of at a, in a way it's an opportunity in disguise sometimes. What's the most exciting virtual program that like you've created that you see really working? Like, 
you know, I'm noticing like when I went onto the website, I mean, I was blown away by all the things you can go tour a nuclear power plant and go tour, you know, cities of the future and virtual cities. Right. And you can go, you know, measure sharks in the ocean. So some stuff is really like, you can see the whole world. You can, you can, you have a lot of stuff at your fingertips nowadays, right? Like that kind of never been possible before. Right. I think everybody's up their game, not only teachers and in students, but also a lot of outside vendors, organizations such as museums and things like that. They've all stepped up what they present online. And it's quite remarkable that you could actually tour museums. Virtual field trips are quite remarkable. And now they're pairing that with learning experiences differentiated for different grade levels um, and experiences. And so if you have that student that is, is just a volcano freak, he or she can go and explore till her heart's content and you could take them around the world. And so those are some of the things that teachers are trying to capture right now and, and really take advantage of. By the way, I did, a, I, I can't talk about the project cause it's a TV show that's coming out later, but I went to a cool Island in the South Pacific and uh, repelled into a volcano and studied the, the soundscape of the volcano. It just was amazing. So, I mean, I guess that's the stuff that you can't do right now. And so every kid is online and they're seeing the world, you know, virtually and they can experience so much virtually. Do you worry or fear that there's like a backfire that, you know, because it seems to me that you're a full on hands on guy. You love climbing Kilimanjaro with students. You love getting out there in the field. Do you do you worry that there's like a kind of a demotivation to get out into the world? Maybe even when this covid thing subsides like kids are going to be a little reluctant to get out into the world and, and bleed a little bit. That's, that's an interesting point. I know that one of the parts, I actually got to teach five courses these last two weeks and it's been terrific middle school science uh, until we hired some more teachers, but it, it was a lot of fun. We actually encouraged students to, to get outside and they, they would take their devices, go outside in nature and capture images. And we would talk about the difference between observations and inferences, those mm-hmm. type of things. And so it was really nice. They do miss that personal interaction. And that's one thing that I think is, is missing. And our teachers are really doing a nice job of trying to connect students in small breakout rooms, making sure there's collaborative projects and things like that. That's the one thing I think that would we're being cognizant of to make sure that is present. Yeah. When you kind of look at what's happening now, my across the nation, state of Colorado in your district, you know, years ago, what I'm familiar with is at the university level, they started talking about this idea of the flipped classroom. And then there was a, a big explosion in online universities, online learning, to, you know, get your degree without ever having to go to campus, save tons of money. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing now that you think might change the face of education forever and possibly for the better? Yeah, oftentimes when you're trying to to move something forward, it takes adversity like this to possibly do that. And so if you think of what school looked like when the three of us were in the classroom, um, we'd oftentimes we'd read about something and then we'd have some kind of exam or test to test our knowledge. And in today's world, you know, students have to empathize with the problem and they can they ideate a solution? Can they actually move from that to revising their problem and, and then actually sticking with it until they find a solution for a problem? So creating critical thinkers. Is, is the difference between today and, and yesterday's world. And I think we're going to see more of that 
um, especially with business and industry partnerships and students being engaged in the real world practical application, whether it's the sciences or social studies or something like that. Because, I mean, you could just go and Google like everything under the sun, right? But you, you know, Google doesn't teach you how to think, right? How to critically think, right? So it seems like that's the way the education has been adapting, right? It's re- less reciting information and more like, hey, take the stuff that's out there and interpret it. Yeah, it's a great point. I think that years ago we were limited by a couple things, the knowledge of our instructor, the information that was in our textbook. And that's pretty much what you can find to. And now you have the world at your fingertips, as you mentioned, Google. So you're seeing the teacher move more from the sage on the stage to more of a facilitator of learning and still being there to sort of drive best practices and how students actually approach a problem and learn from it. So much more of a facilitation than just a direct instructor. And there's a nice balance there. There always has to be balance in everything that we do. But we're seeing a lot of project-based learning where students learn by being actively engaged in real-world projects. And I spoke to a couple of those about the, the shark research students in the national parks, different things like that, but also blended learning, putting students at the center of learning, sort of a a balance between in-person and online content where students, student agency or their choice is, is, is more upfront. And then flip classrooms and that's sort of a structure, a strategy focused on student engagement where teacher moves from, like I mentioned, the head of the class to more of a facilitator and students take more of the invested interest in, in drive in the direction of learning. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think as a parent of a, a kid in third grade and a seventh grade is that I have always been impressed with the schools and the teachers that have been around my kids because they have been able to light the spark in their, you mentioned lighting the spark as being part of a goal of a teacher. And I I do worry that it's hard to light the spark. You know, my, my third grader has a brand new teacher, never met the teacher before, hasn't met, you know, knows some of his classmates. I think part of lighting a spark, spark is maybe I'm too focused on like the being in person helps light that there's some energy there. There's energy around your classmates and tactile engagement. And so I, I wonder what your thoughts are around, can you still light that spark in a virtual learning environment? You know, I think students always surprise us. They're, they're quite remarkable. And, and even the classes I got to teach the last two weeks, even though it was online, you could feel the energy, you could feel the excitement of being back in seeing other students, even though it's not in person, you see them online and be able to collaborate with them. And there was that energy there. So I think that uh, you know, our, our students are quite a bit more resilient than we give them credit for. And I think they're going to rise to the occasion with this blip. And hopefully we'll be back in person soon. I know that's the goal of at least our district. I think every other district is when it's safe to, to be able to do that. But students will surprise us and they'll come out and this will be a, a positive, make us stronger. Tell us a little bit, you know, you, you have a, a background in traveling the world and going on adventures. No Barriers has a background in bringing people on adventures. What's some advice if you're, you're a parent or a teacher and you want to bring your, per, your, your kid or your students on an adventure in today's world where it kind of feels like we're really confined? How can we still create a sense of adventure in our kids' lives despite what we're all facing kind of locked up at home? First, I think it starts with that the idea of student agency or their choice and getting them excited about either travel or a research topic and then doing that together. Um, one of the interesting things that's come about is that we have parents more involved in student learning and parents more engaged. And not every parent can do that, of, of course, 
but we're seeing a lot more of that and it's leading to some really kind of neat opportunities for families to investigate together. And so that's, that's definitely a positive. We're, we've been working for last year or so getting some of our students out in nature and seeing that we have a good number of young people that see the mountains from a distance, but they never get to go there. And so to be able to encourage them and their families to get out and explore together has been quite rewarding. We've put together a whole series of backpacks that are full of anything, everything a child would need to investigate in the wild and just have fun from binoculars to bug boxes to all sorts of tracker information, things like that. And then also information from each of the local community, state, and national parks. And so it's been fun to get, get the families together on those type of adventures. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Mike, I'm, I'm curious about how you all are approaching the equity challenges of being virtual. You know, when, when kids can come to school, there's obviously equity challenges as well, but at least they can all, hopefully, if you're providing you know, transportation and support, they can usually all at least get there. But um, I know that some of the national news has been around the inability of people to have uh, adequate internet at home, technological resources. And so you have the you know, problem of kids that have being able to access this stuff and kids that don't um, not being able to access school and then, you know, kids kind of not, not showing up and missing out on a whole, you know, year of, of positive school experience. Talk to us about how your district is handling that. It's interesting. Um, even further in the district, Governor Polis actually held a press conference this afternoon talking about this very issue and how a lot of business and industry partners are stepping up to the table and, and really helping extend coverage for students in rural areas. And so it's been quite remarkable. Here we've been, um, we're very fortunate with the technology we have. We've been a one-to-one district, which means all of our middle school and high school students have had devices for about six, seven years now. And trying to make sure working with, we have seven different communities here in the, within the district, working with those communities to make sure we have as much coverage as possible has been terrific. And a lot of people have, have really stepped up with what took place in March and April and also in the flip to online learning. Um, seeing hotspots pop up over the around the city, making sure that equity piece is is talked about and and to the best uh, that we can addressed, and so to make sure everybody has what they have what they need. Uh, we've also last year we went to a piece where we we actually had paper copies of things for for those that did not have online access, and then we worked with them to make sure they got online, but the paper actually took care of a lot of what they needed in the meantime. Yeah. That's tough. Um, NPR had a, a terrific article today on on the country of Mexico and what they're doing. They're, they've taken all of their education to television and they have different channels for different grade levels. But even that, there's some equity issues with those out in rural areas that don't have proper reception, um, only having one TV or a couple TVs in, in, a, in a village. And so that's that's challenging. Yeah. What are you guys doing to coach your your parents in this time? You know, Eric and I both have kids, you know, like I felt like we, I got in a good rhythm of knowing, you know, okay, kids are home from school. How do we generate conversation around school? Like how, how do we support our kids best at this challenging time? Now, the first thing is patience, obviously, because it is, it is challenging after a couple of weeks. But what teachers and administrators have to do is really look at the idea of really engaging this stakeholder and we always did engage the parents, but even more so now with the opportunity of, hey, you could have an invested interest in, and really assist with, with what's taking place. And I know a lot of our teachers have done a wonderful job of including the parents and communication is, is a key of 
here's what your student is doing. Here's how you can assist in any way. And here is where you can contact us if you have any questions, if you need some guidance. So the communication piece is, is critical. And related to that, here's kind of like a mission impossible question, because I've struggled with this as a parent. You know, so my son, he's a great kid and he's on he's online now, uh, virtual content, virtual school. Uh, I mean, he might be on his computer 12 hours a day and all, you know, sports are canceled. So he doesn't have that sports outlet as much. I mean, they are doing practices, but that's all cut down. So he finishes the day just like nine at 10 at night. I, I just imagine his eyes are glazed over. Ha, ha, what any tips to parents to like somehow don't lose touch of the real world? I, I guess I shouldn't say the real world, but you know what I mean. Like, oh, absolutely. You know, you know. Again, following best practices, an idea of understanding of how much time students really are attentive in class, how much screen time they should have. The idea of brain breaks. The idea of of getting out and walking. Uh, we do a, a nice thing. A lot of our teachers do walking podcast. And that'd be a great idea with the No Barriers podcast. Put your headphones in and get out and walk. And so we're seeing a lot of our teachers actually take that to, and put it to practice where they're actually narrating their notes and getting kids out outside, getting them uh, doing some exercise. And so integrating that into their everyday. It's going to look a little different, but uh, we have a couple schools up here that do a wonderful job with movement. Uh, the idea of getting students moving between classes, during classes, and that's uh, pretty critical, I think, right now with, with having a nice balance between screen time, online time, and a personal time. Yeah. And I know that you talk a lot about the importance of innovation in the classroom. And whenever you're trying to be innovative in the classroom, there's a chance of failure. There's a chance of falling short of even disaster. Not that the kids are ever unsafe or in jeopardy, but sort of, you know, that kind of failure. It's part of the process, part of the iterative process. What do you think will be more permanent in terms of these COVID changes and adaptations? And what do you think, you know, once COVID subsides, we'll go right back to the way it was before? Now, I think it's just the the idea of, of being innovative, trying new things, that the idea that students realize the teacher's learning right alongside with them at times and it's not always the expert and and that that's pretty powerful when you get that relationship built to where you're on this learning journey together is is pretty powerful and i think what's going to happen i hope when we move back to the classroom that we're going to see more of that we're going to see teachers trying to do things a little differently introduce students to these incredible topics and and having those students be invested unlike they've ever been invested before and that's, that's at least my hopeful outcome. And I believe that's what's going to happen. Nice. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I, I, I didn't want to uh, finish this podcast before you tell us about your innovation center that you all built, that you raised millions of state federal dollars for us. So tell us about your, your, I forget exactly what it's called, but the, the center and what its role has been in the education of kids and what role you think it's going to play in the future. Just imagine a place where, Truly the limiting factor for what takes place in that building is a student's imagination. And that's what you have with the Innovation Center, with the technology that's there in that building and the expertise with the staff that's there as well. They can prototype and create just about anything and put it to practice and work with business industry partners to rethink what education really looks like. We have 
students that are actually employed at the, the center. And, and, and they work either building apps or, or working with business partners on different projects. And uh, the Shark Project, where they, they built the, the lasers there, we've got a lot of uh, entire aviation center where students are working on with drones, with mapping of, of farmland and working with park and wildlife experts uh, to find solutions to different problems. So there's all sorts of things taking place there. I look at it as a you know 22nd century career development center where the trade crafts of whether it be aviation, uh, we have underwater tanks for underwater robotics, things like that. So it's uh, just a, just an amazing place and, and students and teachers are really taking advantage of it. And we're seeing relationships built with um, community partners that are taking off as well. Whose brainstorm was this? I mean, cause that's a bold move. You, I mean, we were talking about a really beautiful building with all this incredible technology and changing the sort of the whole paradigm of the classroom. Was this your idea? You want to take some credit there? No, no, by no means. It's the leadership in our district really encouraging others to dream big and don't look at just what's taking place now, but look down the road and around the corner. What is the education going to look like in 15, 20 years? How are we going to best prepare our students to be successful in today's world? And, and that's really sort of what led to a lot of the innovation initiatives, um, sort of the STEM initiatives in the district, challenging sort of what traditional uh, public education looks like and, and can we move the needle? There are some remarkably uh, talented people in the district. And I'm just excited to get to work alongside them. I bet you attract a lot of incredible scientists and teachers too who want to be a part of that. That's just like is like the, the motivation of people coming to work at St. Brain. Absolutely. And you're seeing a lot of these pop up throughout the state and around the country as well. Yep. So it's, it's really sort of changing the way we look at preparing students for a successful career, whether that's an academic career, a trade career, whatever it is, but getting them introduced to real world application of the sciences of the you know, visual arts, whatever it is. So it's been, it's been an amazing journey and it's been, and been fun to be a part of. Hmm. Very cool. Well, my, my last question, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the administrative strategies, the teacher-based strategy, advice for parents, you know, what, what would you, you're, you're a teacher, you just taught the past couple of weeks. If a, if a kid came up to you and said, this online stuff sucks, I'm so pissed. I was so looking forward to coming back to school and seeing my friends, you know, what do you say to a kid who is struggling with all of this? Yeah, it's a great question just the idea of exercising patience. You know, if it isn't for you, let's, all right, let's talk about it. Let's see what, what we can do to make this a better experience. And I, I tell you what, I think the students are rising to the occasion along with the teachers. And they've uh, really impressed the heck out of me the first couple of weeks, just positive attitudes, bringing a lot of energy. It's different, but still learning's taking place. We're moving forward. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, and more importantly, for creating the kinds of experiences you are for the future generations, you know, working through some of this tough times and providing amazing educational experiences. And, and as you said, thinking 15 years, 20 years down the line, a century down the line and creating the future. So it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much, Mike, for all that you do. Thank you. Good luck with everything. Yeah, Mike, thank you for your time and, and best uh, for the year ahead. 
Well, Eric, tell me uh, what's so you <laughs> today in the, the conversation. It's pretty close to home for us. We both have kids in school who are dealing with this. So what's what struck you? Uh, my head's kind of spinning, you know, because, yeah, all this is so close to home for me as a parent. Uh, I just I guess I'm just more impressed by the innovation and the paradigm shifting stuff that uh, Mike and his team are bringing to the table for students. You know, I mean, like ending with this innovation laboratory is just such a paradigm shift in education, right? I mean, it's, it's not even like a traditional classroom at all. It's not like looking at charts of protozoas, like, you know, like I, I used to when I could see in middle school. I mean, this is like a total brave new world of education and I'm still hung up on measuring sharks with lasers. I mean, that's, <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds so fun. Like if I had done, if I had measured one shark with a laser when I was in school, forget about man, forget about yeah. climbing Everest, forget about mountain climbing. I would have been, yeah, I would have been an oceanographer or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, you know, this, this whole, idea that he was talking about the role of of teachers being to uh, light a spark, give kids agency, let them be creative and explore. And in today's world, they can still do all those things. And and me thinking, geez, I got to step up as a parent because I've been feeling a little down by the start of the year and they're not going to school. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to still create that spark and get them excited to be learning about things and really create things they could be doing uh, both in school and out of school, even though they're not the things we used to do before COVID. So I'm, I'm excited to explore what I do with the kids next week to light the spark. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and there's, you know, what Mike Kuchar said last week, which was like, you know, don't cry about the things we've lost or the, the things that we can't do right now or the things that aren't working, right? Just we got to sort of focus on what we can do and sort of the, you know, the, the advantages, the benefits, you know, like Dave, I know you're, you're very lucky and fortunate, but I mean, I know like because of this virtual environment, you are spending a lot more time with your kids and yep. uh, being a teacher for them. And so, I mean, like I know every parent can't do that, but I do think that's a good mindset for us to get into. Like, let's not cry over what we can't do. Let's figure out how to flourish in this new environment. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good message to end on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, uh, if there were any things that we talked about in today's conversation that you wanted to go do some extra research on, you can find details in our show notes. We appreciate you listening. This is the second in our a short series we're doing, just focused on getting back to school. And uh, we'll be pivoting in October to uh, some of our other topics, but hope you appreciate this focus on what's happening with our kids, our teachers, our parents, and keep listening and share this with others. Thanks so much. No barriers. The production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, executive producer Diedrich Jonk, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Kotman, Graphics by Sam Davis and marketing support by Megan Lee and Carly Sandsmark. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. 
Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. And soon they will be fine.